Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. America, I hope you're ready for this because I'm talking to Eric Andre today on the three questions. I love him. I I love you. I should look at you and tell you that. I should stop talking to America and start <laughs> focusing on you. Yes. Yes. How are you? Am I here? Is that my entrance? Yeah. Or do I That's the Eric Andre theme song. I don't know if you knew that. Wow. Yeah. Here he is. Incredible. Here he is, folks. Oh, my God, put some pants on. That's a huge dick. (laughs) (laughs) And two vaginas. Oh, my God, huge dick and two vaginas. You must never leave the house. (laughs) Is one of the vaginas vaginas your favorite? (laughs) Don't tell the other one. (laughs) Now, you're uh, calling me from a Pier 1 Imports. (laughs) Yeah, I am. am. No, this is, uh, those are my uh, plantation shutters which they still mm. call them that, even to this mm. day, the wooden shutters. I'm deeply uncomfortable with those shutters. <laughs> well, I'm deeply un- <laughs> uncomfortable with your... I'm canceling those with shutters. your honky plants behind you. <laughs> um, hey, listen, your big movie comes out today, right? Or drops, hey, as out. they say. It's out. That's I, I noticed that with something because I was telling my daughter about it because she's very excited to see it. And I don't know if she was aware that, in fact, just before I got on with you, I was texting her. Hey, uh, Eric's movie is is officially watchable. And I realized like the to, I, I could have said Eric's movie drops, but like I just didn't. I didn't have the nerve to say that to my daughter. Like I just you sound you sound like a cool hip hop dad. Just yeah, but hey man, that drops. I still it's still one of those things I can't say unironically. You know. I think you can. You're like a Gen Z right. hip hop artist. The new burgeoning Gen Z hip hop artist. The new Gen Z anyway. me has just dropped. <laughs> like 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 a baby into a birth canal, ready to sh- be shit out into the world. well now this is exciting i'm really looking forward to the movie because it's kind of an interesting amalgam of of pranks and story and mania uh i haven't seen it yet can i can i just interject for a second i love when you curse oh i i I grew up watching you and i am just on like whenever you say shit or fuck 13-year-old me goes, oh, shit, you slipped that one past the fences. Uh, well, I'm gl- yeah, no, I'm, it's funny because I don't, uh, you know, I probably swear too much. My mother definitely says, I, you know, like in tweets and on the podcast, she's like, you say fuck all the time, even though my mother swears like a truck driver. So, 
she really does. She was, I mean, like I used to call, like when I was in college, I would call home and I have a younger brother and sister who are nine years younger and she'd be on the phone. She'd be like, yeah, uh-huh. So I told your uncle Bill, hold on a second. Will you kids shut the fuck up? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I told your uncle, like that was, that was our, that was our every day in our house. <laughs> shut the fuck up. I'm trying to fucking talk on the phone. Jesus. Oh boy. Now, um, you, Where'd you grow up? I can't I, I had research on you. I grew up in suburban Sub- Florida, Boca Raton, Florida. And I, I resent my parents to this day for dragging me there. But I was three years old. I had no say in the decision. Yeah, Boca was always, whenever I got on a plane to go from Newark to Florida, it was Boca was seemed to be where the people in matching, like the middle-aged people in matching track suits were going, mm. you know, like lots of... It's more like elderly swingers in Hawaiian. Really? Shirts. Is it r- truly swingers? It's a golf, golf. It's like old Long Island and New Jersey people retire retirees. Yeah. How did your family end up there? My mom is a Jew from New York. My dad is from Haiti. My dad escaped Haiti in 1969, 70, because there was a, a dictatorship right. going on. It was a bad scene. Yeah. Went to New York, married my mom. They had my sister. Then he went to, my dad's a psychiatrist, went to med school in the Caribbean, finished his residency in Miami. I think they got their house broken into a couple times in Miami. It was the 80s. Oh, wow. Yeah. And like He escaped the dictatorship. New York in the 70s was crime-ridden. Miami in the 80s was crime-ridden. And he just asked the doctors, he's like, can I just go to like a boring suburban? Where's a boat? Like, I want to like be like close to a metropolitan area, but like get me to the suburbs. And and one of his... Uh, Doctor, student, colleagues. Uh, buddies was like Boca. Colleagues, yes. One of his colleagues was like, "I hear Boca is nice," and he's like, "Sold." As long as my house doesn't get broken into, I want to like avoid crime. Yeah. But for me, uh, like a spastic mixed kid in this environment, and just being like ADD and uh, everything else, I was very bored and I felt very out of place, and I resented. I bet. It. And were you bo- were you born there or were you born in Miami? I was born in Miami, and then when I was three, they they moved up there. Um, so really, I grew up there. But uh, then I, I I got the hell out as soon as I got as soon as I turned eighteen. I went to college in Boston, then moved to New York. Uh, what I mean, where did you get in trouble a lot? I mean, were you? And also, too, I mean, is it is it a racist place? I mean, as a as a mixed kid, Florida? Nah. <laughs> no, no. You know, I mean, it varies from town to town. You know what I mean? Of course, Florida is racist. No, I yeah, know what yeah, you mean. Yeah. I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, uh, uh, yes, a lot of racism, a lot of like casual racism, just like hard R N bombs dropped casually in conversation, and you're like, wait, what? Come, come again? Yeah, yeah, you yeah, had to yeah. be like, yeah, is that normal? <laughs> but it, it, here's how it works. Yes, there's plenty of racism. The farther you went north in my county, the more the, the more you stretched towards central yeah. Florida, the more Confederate flags and overt racism uh, uh, you would see. So I moved to Boston for college. I was like, I'm sick of this racism. Yeah. I'm going. I'm going to a place where there's not a single racist. Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> Let me meet a nice Red Sox fan. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty funny. Like, 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 well, it probably did, you know, it was different, but it still made you feel like you were home. You know, it was like, 
There was just enough yeah. racism <laughs> to make you comfy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, that's so, right. and you, so, you yeah, it was, it was, it was, and it was very like it's very segregated. It's very segregated by race and class, and I didn't and never felt like I fit in. Did your dad like it, or was he just happy to not have his car broken into? I think he like my dad has PTSD from Haiti. And I think he just, he liked being in this, like a safe and predictable and born. I think he liked the boredom. Yeah, yeah. He was like, this is like, he like grew up in chaos. Yeah. This is, this is really kind of dark. When he, when he moved to New York and he married my mom and they had a, um, and they had my sister, they were in Queens and my mom got like strangled in an oh. elevator by some psychopath. Oh my God. You didn't tell me this till later. This is kind of dark. Sorry, sorry if this is like not off no, tone it's, for it's, you. It's okay. But, and my mom tells it very casually. She was like, hey, it's New York. I grew up in New York. Whatever. I went on the elevator. This guy comes in. He strangles me till I pass out. He stole my purse. No big deal. They took me to the hospital, but nothing was wrong. You know, she shrugs everything off. She's like, I've been mugged 50 times. Whatever. <laughs> um, so... But I think, like, my dad was like, I finally escaped Haiti. And then he turns around and his wife is being strangled. So he's like, fuck, I got to get, yeah, yeah. get out of here. So they, like, and then he went to med school in the Dominican Republic, which isn't the safest <laughs> place on earth. He's like, I got to get out of here. Then he went to Miami in the 80s. And it was like, yeah. And he's like, I got to get the fuck out of here. Like, why can't I just find a place where there's not, like, my wife's not being strangled. Like, there's not bullets flying everywhere. My house isn't getting broken into. <laughs> I think he was just like. I need, like, I want a boring place. Get me the fuck. Yeah. I'm just like, he, my dad's like a very, like, bashed, like, quiet, bookworm, nerdy yeah. guy. And he just doesn't, like, I think he never felt like he belonged in any yeah. of these places. You got to give him that slack. Because it is like, okay, yeah, yeah. All right. That's, yeah, we get it. Because I, I, I mean, yeah. I have that, I have that desire to live somewhere boring. But that's just because I'm old now. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. as you get older, you do just kind of be like, eh. What if yeah. a fancy restaurant seen it, you know, like, can I, how easy is it to park? Like that kind of shit becomes like, okay. All right. Yeah, that's fine. That'll do. I feel like that now I'm, I'm turning 38 next week. And I feel like that's that now. about I'm when like, it starts. Yeah. Where you're just like, ah. yeah, I'm like partied out. Yeah. Also hangovers last really long. Mm -hmm. Like remember when you were in your twenties and a hangover would just like, Last just the morning, and you would get a coffee and a, and a sausage, egg, and cheese, and you'd be back at the bar the Absolutely. next night. It's an all hangovers, an all day affair. It's like I have to plan the next day. <laughs> I I went a couple of times. I I went to work still tripping, just a little bit. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I mean moving furniture. You know, I mean, which is like not bad if you're tripping because you don't have to. Oh, I thought you meant like. Oh no no Conan. not Conan no 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 no. Uh, I, was like, I was like I fucking knew it man. <laughs> no I one episode was Steve Buscemi. <laughs> I found early on that um and I I mean I would never I would never trip and do a show but I found out just from doing improv shows in Chicago like like a a beer or a drink okay but like just a, even a little bit of weed fucking throws oh, no. a wrench into all the works because all it does is make me question every word that's coming out of my mouth, you oh, know? And it, yeah, no, it gets you in yeah. your head and 
the last place you want to be when you're on. Yeah, the stage. and the and the worst part is it's a waste of weed. That's the thing. It's like fuck. I could have saved this weed for after the show and enjoyed it rather right. than have it stress right. me out. But but yeah, that's yeah. that that's the same thing. All all that stuff, hangovers. Like you know, like just like now, I don't even drink enough now to where I get a hangover because I just. Mm-hmm. I can't like to wake up the next day and have a headache for six hours. I'm like, I'm furious at myself. Like, yeah. you know, it's a waste of a yeah. yeah. And yeah, you just age out of that. Yeah, shit. yeah. And it's like, I don't want to, but my body's just like, oh, fuck you. Why did you poison yeah, yeah. me? Well, now, what do you think? Uh, I mean, your mom and dad sound like, uh, well, like opposites in, in many ways. I mean, uh, aside from just the sort of like, physicality of them but just also it sounds like your mom's personality is not shy and bookish oh man how do i describe my parents my mom looks like fran leibowitz mm-hmm. my dad looks like uh arthur ashe or like a dark skin and cold yeah. Powell. <laughs> and just to get a visual sure. and now i'm picturing them doing it <laughs> I have video actually that I want to send you. Um, and, they've been, and they've been divorced for 25 wow. years. So it was really hard. To think yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're married for 25 years. They've been divorced for about 25 years, but they're still friends. And they're both like very kind of nerdy and bookwormy. And then that's kind of all they have in common. They, they love politics and they love reading. And then that's, uh-huh. Yeah. And they're both they're both a little bit spectrumy, mm. or just kind of like the social interaction dial is like not totally like set yeah. right. It's a little bit like off, yeah. you know, like a little bit too like le- left brain lopsided yeah. kind of like they're not completely in tune with the human language, like just the sort of the entirety of the language of human interaction is that what you mean like out in public i mean i don't mean like to their children even so but just like i I think it's i mean i'm diagnosing them and i'm not not, um a psychiatrist or psychologist uh but some sprinkling of like asperger's or uh, alana glazer told me a new um term called neurodivergence which i barely understand but they might have a little bit of like neurodivergence yeah. Yeah, going yeah. on, but, but but then both super academic. I don't know. They're strange to me. I'm still figuring yeah, out yeah. my parents. And they're kind of like mysterious. Was the divorce made easier by their kind of lack of emotionality between the two of them? Or no, I was actually I was blindsided by yeah. the divorce. They were just like they never fought. They're very like. Uh, conflict averse but so much so that they don't like deal with their emotions in a healthy way they just kind of like suppress them and they're quiet about them and they just like especially my dad just like keeps it under the surface and then one day he's like i'm divorcing your mom bye and i was like what 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 i mean you know i was 12 i'm third i'm turning 38 20 Six years later, I still kind of have whiplash. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. So they are confusing to me. Yeah. They're confusing. I think my dad kind of 
grew up in a very chaotic country and had to suppress a lot of stuff out of like a survival tactic, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And probably, I imagine when you go through that kind of childhood that he did, giving your giving your well-fed, well-housed kid a soft landing because you're married, it, like it's just not in his makeup to be like, I better make this easy on the kids because he's like, well, hey, the kids aren't getting shot at. It's, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, and also like, my dad was very like aloof with me and my sister. He wasn't like very involved. He never like came to high school functions mm. or like anything like that. But that, and I've, we've confronted him about it over and over again. But like, he's like, Compared to his father, yes. he's like, his dad, like, didn't even know he existed until he was, like, 20. Oh, wow. <laughs> you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? like, and he had, like, big Catholic family, so he had, like, 70 siblings. I have, like, uh, 10 million cousins and aunts and aunties and uncles and just, like, there's no condoms in the first 20th. <laughs> <laughs> this happened in the 20th century, yeah, 80. Yeah. Like, no, like, condom? Right. <laughs> the Pope would kill us. <laughs> Well, do you think, uh, do you think you get part, like where, from out of that union, where does your sense of humor, like how do they produce a somebody that, you know, whose sense of humor is, is as unique as yours, you know? I grew up kind of glued to the television and I didn't, I felt kind of out of place, but I was also very hyperactive. And growing up in the 80s, all that we ate for breakfast and lunch was mm-hmm. sugar. All they gave kids, it was like Frosted Flakes, Ninja Turtle cereal, apple juice, orange juice, Capri Sun, orange slices. This is like the first half of the day. It's just just sugar. I'm not getting any yeah, nutrients. Yeah. I'm like just bouncing off the wall. But then you got to school and school lunch was pizza and like soda and chocolate yeah. milk. So More carbs. No, no nutrients. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just sugar and sugar and sugar. Finally, when I got home from school and then we had dinner, I would have like a salad and, and like some food. And that was like my only real nutrients of the day. So I think like just my diet was all sugar. I was hyperactive. I felt out of place. And I was just like glued to the television all the time and just like emulating every cartoon and every comedy show. I, I was just obsessed with comedy. Yeah. You know, I went to music school, obsessed with comedy and... um just like trying to make my friends crack up at, at school. I don't know. Um, now you did, you went to Berkeley in Boston, the school of yes. music. So you obviously were yeah. pretty, cause that's hard. That's a hard place to get into. It used to be, I think back in like the forties, fifties, sixties, when it, it was like this, like elite jazz program. Yeah. Cause it was one of the earliest jazz schools. And then I think in the nineties, they figured out why are we elite? If we just like let any, schmucky 18 year old in who's got the yeah, cash yeah. just let the floodgates open let's make some dollars yeah, yeah. baby it was like a 75 percent acceptance rating all i did was like write an essay get a couple of letters of recommendation from some high school teachers and like do like a cool jazz solo on my bass and they're like yeah come on in and i was like oh man i got in and then when i got there like half the people there like couldn't even read music and they just like like most of my friends were not good musicians right. <laughs> they just you have to dance yeah yeah come on in. they're just like suckering 18 year olds into a dream of being a rock right. star it's like yeah then four years later after your hacky sacks all exploded <laughs> and like you come out of a, a fog of weed and jägermeister you're like 
I just wasted a hundred and twenty thousand yeah, yeah. dollars on jazz. <laughs> on jazz. Mom, I spent all my money on jazz. <laughs> like a, a form of music that hasn't been uh, hasn't been relevant for like a hundred years, and you and you're fucking eighteen yeah, when you yeah. make that decision. You don't know. And then you go to the workforce at twenty one, twenty two, and you're like, jazz was a bad choice. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, my, my resume just said dooby dooby dooby. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my loves are growing? Through the whole thing, are you thinking like I'm going to be a jazz bassist, or I mean, you because you started doing some comedy stuff, right? The thing, though, yeah. It, t- towards the end, the whole experience was very like like a. a I, I I always called it my quarter life crisis. It was <laughs> a it was a uh, existential dilemma. The whole all four years of college, I was I was like. In a band, I think we, by the time we finally got on our feet, we played like three shitty open mics and never got anywhere. But as I was doing these open mics, I would see flyers for like, you know, open mic comedy night, come on down, tell jokes. And I, I just like, like I just had that spark. I was like, should I try it? It seems terrifying. Yeah. And till this day, I'm still terrified of comedy. Every time I perform, you've seen me on Conan just flop sweating every time. <laughs> Every time I could go on an audition for a non-union regional ham commercial and still be like, "Oh fuck, man, did I fuck that up?" Man? Yeah, like, yeah. I'm just like, I'm, a, I'm an anxious guy. So, but but I just tried it. I just started doing stand up towards the end of college. You know, Boston is a very Boston and Chicago. They're both very like comedy comedy yeah. towns. Like like a lot of Toronto, Chicago, Boston. Yeah. I feel like a lot. Yeah, the early Conan show is. Pretty much 50-50 Chicago, Boston. Yeah, uh, in yeah. terms of the writing staff, you know, a few, a sense. few, you know, other ge- geographies thrown in, but really Chicago, Boston. That yeah. makes sense. I think like, I think Boston, Chicago might have this too. It's like the the. I'm sure your writing staff was like that perfect tornado of neurotic obsessive Jews 
and Irish Catholics that just suppress <laughs> and suppress. Yeah, pretty close. And and drink and suppress. But that's what comedy yeah. comes from. That that like Catholic suppression and Jewish neurosis combined yeah. too is like beautiful in a writer's room. It's like like bouquets of flowers. To, you know, that's my comedic metaphor right now that I'm abandoning as I'm saying it. Like come out of that, uh, those two psychological uh, dispositions. But back to my story. Yes, I just started doing um, stand-up towards the end of college and I fell in love with it. And I started filming prank videos around other colleges because there's so many colleges. I would yeah. like, go to Boston University and do pranks there and go to BC and do pranks there. And uh, I just realized as I was graduating, like I should pivot and make comedy. I felt like if you were a great musician, a virtuoso guitar player or a brilliant songwriter, you would still potentially see a life of poverty. There was no rhyme or reason to the music industry. But if you were really good at comedy, you would find a job mm -hmm. somewhere. You might not be a movie star, but you'll, you, you'll get like a decent gig somewhere if you're really yeah. funny. So I just, I felt like comedy made more sense. <laughs> yes. That was your fallback. That was your fallback from jazz was comedy. Yeah. yeah. I literally, I go, dad, you know, as I'm, as I'm like wasting all my parents' money on jazz school, I'm like, dad, you know, I'm finishing school. I got my degree in music, but I already quit. I'm getting into, and he's like, please say law school or med school. <laughs> and I go, I'm getting into comedy and my dad was like oh hey why and he actually he actually when i was when i first moved to new york right as i graduated school he talked me into taking the lsats and he paid for a tutor he was like i'm gonna find you a tutor you're gonna take the lsats and i and i studied for six months for the lsat and i got to the test and i looked down at the scantron and the the, the proctor was like if anybody has any other last questions before we get started, ask them now. And I just looked down at that Scantron and I broke my pencil in half and I got up and I just left. And I was like, comedy for life. <laughs> I went right to the tattoo like, parlor. I got that on my gums. <laughs> comedy for life. And then I was just like flat broke for a decade. <laughs> you know what? I feel proud that I... Because like right when I graduated, my mom, my dad were like pushed all my student loan debt to me. They were like, good luck. They yeah, just like kicked yeah. it over to me. And then finally, when I sold the Argonne show and I did season one of the show, I proudly called Sally Mae. And I was like, here's your whatever, right. 50,000 bucks back, lady. Yeah. I don't I'm know. not a lady, sir. <laughs> I proudly paid off my student loans. And I felt like so. Yeah. I did it, man. <laughs> I did it my yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> now, when you when you start doing stand up, I mean, is there is there like because so much of what you do? Well, I mean, you know, you have people walk off your show because they don't know what the fuck is going on. And was that mm -hmm. that kind of aspect of of making an audience say, "Wait, what is this? Is this guy serious? What am I watching here?" Was that no the audience? I, the audience I want on my yeah. side when I'm pranking somebody on my show. The audience, which is not like actually there, we don't really have a live studio audience in for the Eric Andre show. But you know the the television viewer at home is is on my side. I'm like I'm like 
I'm lighting up the guest for their for their laughs. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm not. I'm not pushing the audience away in this weird like German avant-garde yeah, theater yeah, yeah. of Andy Kaufman. Um, the audience. I'm. I'm. I'm the opposite. I'm like begging the audience to like me. Yeah, yeah. I'm much. I'm much less cool. Much more pathetic. <laughs> yeah, but well, the things you do. Uh, you know, I mean, just a lot of the, you know, desk smashing and, you know, I mean, it's pretty confrontational stuff. So it's like, did you did you reach a point where you knew your audience would be with you? Like, you obviously have to have some kind of trust in your audience and some faith and, in, in, you know, and like some of the stuff that you do. Or do you just like, are you doing what you think is funny and you know there's just enough people that share your sensibility? I... Didn't know if anybody was going to get it when we did the first season of the show. Yeah. And then when we had that first episode, episode 101 up on its feet, I showed my buddy Zach, who's very like, he like doesn't bite his tongue. I kind of showed him on purpose because he'll, he'll tell me if something sucks. Or yeah. Not. And I remember he looked up from that 11 and a half minute episode and he goes, the kids are going to love this one, man. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's a good sign. And then I, I, so I started feeling good and showing, showing more and more people. And then when we went on that first tour I, uh, for the Eric Andre show, I remember telling myself, like, it's okay if you don't, like, sell out these venues. Like, you're getting your start. And I just read this article about, like, the first time this band at the drive-in played in New York City. Like, they, they were like, we finally made it to New York, man. And they went in the venue and, like, they played for one per- They just played for the bartender. Like it was a completely yeah, empty. Yeah. Um, so I was like, there might be some shows like that, but the first Eric Andre show tour, we weren't playing the biggest venues ever. We were playing these like punk rock, more intimate yeah. venues, but the whole, we did like probably 10 cities and, and they were all sold out, like lying around the line around the block. That's great. And they were like, that was like my first real fans, yeah, you yeah. know? So I was like, okay, I think I might be on yeah. something. Like, I think that this is, and then, and then, you know, slowly but surely, you start getting recognized at the bar and the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. You become an egomaniac. You start being a maniac. Pushing You're the people closest down. to you, furthest away. You know, all the standard <laughs> stuff. I do want to go. I want to go back because, like you said, you had that decade of being broke. Yeah, and I don't. People that aren't sort of you know that aren't in show business or aren't in comedy, you know, they they hear people say that and. Uh, and but I don't know if they re- like just <laughs> they Dude, realize like I, how how it's like it's one thing to be young and starting your career and broke, but it's like I think there's something about show business because there's so few opportunities. Like it's there's it's such a seller's yeah. market when it comes to jobs that yeah. it, it's it's kind of crazy. Like for a decade you waited, and and what went through your mind? I mean, were there doubts? You know, there had to be. I, I just was full of piss and vinegar. And there's something about being in your twenties in New York city where you're just resilient. You can like survive off like four hours of sleep and drinking bourbon till 4am. And like, like, like I said, like the, the, the Dunkin' Donuts sausage, egg and cheese can just like keep you yeah. going for like 12 hours. Like I, I was just like, I was determined and, um, I just, I, I work shitty day jobs in cubicles and I tempt and I just like, and I just would look around those offices and just be like, I was like, this can't be my life. I won't allow yeah. it. Like a life, life has to be enjoyed. I have to do something I enjoy. So 
I think I was just determined, but I was fucking broke. Like I would go, me and my buddy Julio, who also moved, he was my high school friend. We, we moved to New York at the same time. I like rented out my, I rented, like I rented this apartment for six months with these other, like with the other high school buddy. And then like Julio came to town and I was like, I'll give you my apartment if you pay me like pay me back the rent and I'll live off that money and I'll just like couch hop. And I like, I slept outside in the park a couple nights, which was terrifying. <laughs> and like, I would like do open mics and ask the audience if I could sleep over after the thing, after the show and shit like that. I would like sleep over at people's houses that I barely knew. And we would like go, there was this place called Punjabi Delhi on first and first in the Lower East Side, and they sold $2 microwave Indian food. It was the cheapest meal you could get in New York. And I, like, lived off that. And it was just, like, they would, like, microwave it in the styrofoam. Like, I I definitely, like, (laughs) ate, like, melted plastic in the styrofoam. And all the – this is pre-Uber. This is pre-smartphone. This is, like, all the the New York City taxi drivers would eat there. So it was just me and my friend, Julio, and, like, 19 taxi drivers, and we would just be all eating the shittiest – like, like I'm definitely, it was like eating like pollution from the ocean. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fill your stomach, and it was cheap. And I would get two, like two dollar falafels. I was broke. Yeah. I was so broke, and I had like my shitty bike, bicycle, and I bike all sweat. I was just like sweaty and like oozing toxins. <laughs> in your in your sort of moments of doubt. I know I had them like, this isn't going to work. I got to do something else. You know? Yeah. I just sort of confront with like the death of my dreams and me having to be a grown up. And I mean, did you go through that? And, and what did, what did you see your life being? If Cause I also heavily relate to the, I got to have fun. I can't sit in an office. The few times that I had a job that was kind of an office environment, I just was like, I'm going to fucking die in here. I'm going to be, I'm going to like be addicted to every substance and be 600 pounds if I stay here. You know, what did you think you were going to do with yourself if comedy didn't work out? I, I, you know, have to shamefully go back to jazz (laughs) with your tail between your legs. With my saxophone between my legs. <laughs> I I don't know. I was like doing, I, I, I really enjoyed the stand-up comedy scene in New York and like the camaraderie that I had with my like circle of friends in the comedy community. So I think that kept me going. And I felt like good about my stand-up. Like my stand-up was, I, I felt like it was getting better and I was getting more comfortable on stage. So I did feel like growth. So that kept me going. And then I did this like, this um, live stand-up comedy competition called NBC Stand-Up for Diversity, where they'd have all like the the people of color, you know, like up and coming POC comedians would like com- compete against each other for like a chance to go to LA and perform in front of agents. Yeah. And I was like, that's what the man always wants. He wants to pit colored people against each other. <laughs> that's, right. that's what he's always doing. <laughs> So I did that and like I got an agent that didn't do a goddamn thing for me for uh, another 10 years. But and then I went back to New York and, and there was like there was a little bit of forward momentum each year oh, okay. that kept, kept me going. Yeah. It wasn't like I was making any money, but like I felt like I was um, honing my yeah. craft. So 
and then, and then I made like a really um the poor man's version sizzle reel of the Eric Andre show on my own dime when I was like 26, 27 and then and then um sold it to Adult Swim by 28. So then then I then I had a job, but that was like I was just nearing like 10 years of Right, right. I would have like waves where I'd have like some money and then I'd like kind of go through it and then be yeah. broke and then like get get like a whatever I get like a some focaccia, corporate fucking, gig or something in wireless you know or like you know allergy medicine commercial or something and that would like give me my like nineteen thousand bucks that i would live off of for the yeah year, yeah plus temp jobs and stuff like that so there was little fits and starts where i would see like a, a glimmer of some kind of career. i think yeah and i think that's very important and for people that like are thinking about like about doing this you know young people listening to this thinking that is, you know, there is the difference between toiling in obscurity and toiling in obscurity with gradual progress that you can be honest with yourself and really truly see. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, uh, did your stand up have the the pranks aspects of it, or was that just that that was just kind of a side thing that you did when you started to do the uh, do the TV show? Uh, I, I was always doing pranks, even back in the early days, like as I was finishing school in Boston, I would film like crude hitting camera pranks that like were the kind of primordial ooze of the pranks that, that went on yeah. the show. Um, I don't even know if I have them anymore. They might be on like a, a, a VHSC, which is like a micro VHS tape in my mom's garage somewhere. <laughs> but um, uh, No, I was definitely like, same point of view yeah, yeah. and that absurdist almost that like ca- kind of chaotic 70s robin williams like just bouncing off the right. walls you know eve martin absurdity you know where i would i would i might do things where i would like go out into the audience or like drag the audience outside and bring them back in like that kind of like uh kaufman-esque um anarchy yeah. but uh, not like pranks on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it ultimately I'm thinking is a dumb question because of course you can't prank people who are coming. I was insulted when you I'm asked so, me. That. I was so sorry. That was um uh, bullshit. Actually, you spit. <sighs> I my am face. so sorry. <laughs> well, I do want to know. I do want to know because there is you, you know you talked about the same sort of comic ethos is that that was in your standup that's in the show. And there, and a lot of what you do, especially like in the beginning, it seemed like you, you, start, you know, you, you, you know, you set out like you were doing a talk show, and the like. It seemed mm-hmm. like the first step you did was like to take an axe and chop away at the very idea of a talk show. You know, like blowing mm-hmm. up the desk every once in a while, being rude, mm-hmm. being nude, being you know, subdued, subdued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were rapping for a second. <laughs> only a second. A Gen- I can only do it for a second. You are a Gen Z hip hop. I can only rap for a second, and and then I get real tired and fall down. Um, <laughs> um, but is that like where does that come from? Like, is the is it a love of the form? Is it that the form is so I mean played out? Because I know in '93 when we started doing a talk show, there was a lot of like, well, what the fuck else is there to do with a talk show? Right. It didn't come out of like. Howard Stern asked me that too, and I answered wrong and I regretted it. It didn't come out of like, I hate talk shows. It wasn't like, 
It didn't come out of anger. It actually came out of my love of mock uh-huh. talk shows. I love yeah, Space yeah. Ghost. I love um, Jiminy Glick, Martin yep. Short, when he did Jiminy Glick. I loved Ollie G's show. I loved, it was like, my show was like a derivative of a derivative, not like watching, I wasn't watching uh, Steve Allen or Johnny Carson, like, fuck them. <laughs> like, you know yeah, what I mean? I like, know what you mean. Although that's not, a, that, that can I- be a very valid point to take. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it came more out of like my influence of I I just loved how bizarre and absurd Space Ghost was and how like the guests didn't even matter. It was so like Space Ghost was like like self-absorbed and like arguing with uh, Zorak. And like like I love that, like the guests would just sit there and wait for them to be responded to. And it was so so uh, same with the Martin Short and Ali G show. It was like, I was more just like a sum of my influences than, than like speaking out against Jay uh-huh. Leno. You know what I mean? It, it didn't come from that. Um, but uh, it's the oldest, it's one of the oldest television formats. Yep. So it's like, it's um, a perfect template to subvert from. Yeah. Uh, I think that like, you know, the news and the Steve Allen and, and the Tonight Show are like just like in the American, like they're just like in our bones, mm-hmm. they're in our DNA. So it's like an easy, it's an easy uh, structure to put my absurdity. Yeah, over. yeah. Well, it also, too, it is like, you know, when you look back on it and you, especially when you think about how important it used to be, like, you know, Johnny Carson oh. would talk to Gina Lola Brigida for three acts, you know, like, mm-hmm. and that show was an hour and a half, I think, like every night. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like high, it's like high, high status. Yeah. So it's like perfect high status uh, uh, show, uh, high status construct to uh put me which is this like anarchic caveman into absolutely well no it's like it's like the fancy party that you get to go like you know fall into the cake basically you know yeah yeah and because and that is like because you know having been on a talk show for a million years and i you know uh having been around you know it's like lots of like paying homage to Johnny Carson. And I always am like, I don't, I didn't care about Johnny. That was like what my grandma watched. And even then not that much. And I mean, for me, it was always David Letterman. And the thing I like Dave about, about David Letterman is like his bottom line was like, look at how stupid this all is. Like, look at how, look at like this, all of this means nothing, you know? And I, so I, uh, you know, what you're doing is saying like, it more than means nothing. I mean, it's like, it's from a different planet and it, it means yes. nothing. Yeah. So, yes. um, at, when, when this show starts, has, have you ever been contacted by anybody to do like, have they ever said like, well, do you want to do like a real interview kind of thing? Like, has like anyone a, ever like a real talk show? Yeah. Yeah. No, but I always like, I look at Colbert and it's funny because he did a mock talk show in a sense, like Colbert yeah. rapport in character. He, yeah. He was like, he was this bizarro Bill O'Reilly character that he created. And then he like 
got David Letterman's job and he, he had to like, there was a moment where he had to like recalibrate like that first year he was like, I, I can't do the fake Bill O'Reilly persona. Cause that's yeah. sense. And I like saw how he like str- struggled and had to figure out like, what is my new kind of like POV? That's more me. And I kind of like have fantasized about that. I would be like, how funny and ironic would it be that like later in life, I was actually offered like a real talk show job. Yeah, yeah. How, how would I cope with that? What would I? What would I do? But maybe it would it might not be that much different. Yeah, in a weird way. Like I, I wouldn't want to be balls to the wall. I mean, like my show is like the my pure id. You know what I mean? It, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be that. But um, no, no one has offered. But like something nice about. Uh, having a consistent job rather than going out with like different acting jobs. I like envy you and Conan and Letterman and (laughs) Colbert. Like like, you just, yeah, no, you don't got, you don't have to worry about it. Like, Oh fuck, I got to memorize my lines for this thing. And it's a new, and it's like, I got to like audition for that. And it's like all over the place. Like there's something like comp, like your body likes, I just read uh, a short guide to a long life. Mm-hmm. Your body likes consistency. Yep. And like going to bed at the same time every night. And like, like that's what we evolved to do. So like part of me, I think would like take the job. Not, not that I'm being offered the tonight show or anything. But like <laughs> when I did it, I thought that thought has crossed my mind before. And I was like, I actually would take it. Especially if it was like later down the road, I would like, I'm tired. I'm really, yeah. I'm 38 and I'm like exhausted. So I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. 58. If I would, would want to like be bouncing all around, I'm like flying out to South Carolina to film something soon. Like, I think I'd want to just like same time every day. Like, I'd enjoy that. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my loves are growing? Well, now, uh, the movie you said it took four years to make. Seven. Seven. Seven years to make. Were you shooting those whole seven years? Four I mean, years, yeah. I would say I would say the first three years kind of don't count. So, like, four years from when we, like, had a story that was more or less the story that that, that stayed in the movie and, and went to the yeah. market and pitched it and got a, got a bag of money from a company to make it. That, that was four years. But it was three yeah. years of developing the idea. Yeah. Add it to the, before the four years that make it a full seven years. But what was your question? Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I've, never done, I've never done press for a movie before. I feel like run over by, and, I, and it's been seven years. So I've been, 
I've had insomnia for a month leading up to today. Like I cannot sleep. It's just so because it comes out today. Yeah, Yeah. it's coming out. Yeah, it's out now right now. So like my brain is just like my organs are like grinding and just like yeah, I feel like um, and I've been drinking a little bit more in quarantine. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. All right, finally, you know this is an intervention. Your mom's on the line too. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. Um, no, it's it, do, doing press is, is it's the one thing that like you don't even think about, like you might fantasize about like giving interviews, but then the actual reality of it is something nobody ever signed up for Dude, saying hard. the same shit all day, every day. Hard, and I, I, I feel this pressure to be on, you know, yeah. and it's like, it's like doing you're selling. Yeah. It, it, it's like, it's like doing a 12 hour stand up comedy set every day for like yeah. months. Like, I'm just like, <sighs> I was like in bed and I was just like, I couldn't sleep. And I was just like, uh, I was making these weird, like car noises. <laughs> like, are you all right? And I was just like, yeah, no. yeah. and I, I just like, I was in pain that I couldn't describe. And I was like, am I getting sick? And I like, checked my temperature and I was like, I'm not getting sick. And I'm, I'm like smelling garlic to make sure I don't have COVID. And I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm, I hurt. Everything hurts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the pressure of like the, the, just the anxiety of like, I'm, been waiting seven years and you know we we're supposed to premiere at south by southwest last year so this was the right extension this was the, the, the depressing part of it supposed to find finally after six years last year we we're going to premiere at south by southwest we had the headlining no before that we we're supposed to premiere october 2019 at the toronto film festival huge yeah. we got into tiff hell yeah then the studio pushed it pushed the movie to february because they saw some other movie that we weren't even fucking competing with that's i'll tell another day Pushed it to February, and then we go, no, we'll push to April so that we can get into South by Southwest. Got into South by Southwest, headliner, whatever, like Friday night, like the prime time spot. We had a big prank plan for the red carpet. A global pandemic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After six years, a global pandemic shuts down South by Southwest. I mean, I was like five days away from flying to Austin, Texas, and having yeah. like finally having this red carpet and like South by Southwest. That's the best audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those like Texan hipsters just fucking love comedy and music, and like they're just they they would have been the perfect audience to just been like howling at the movie and just having that moment. Finally, after like five seasons of Eric Andre's show and building up towards this movie and. A global pandemic. Yeah. Shuts it down five days before I fly to Austin. So then, and then the movie's nowhere. And then the theaters get shut down. It was supposed to be theatrically released. It wasn't at Netflix. Then theaters get shut down. And then like the pandemic was supposed to be like two weeks or whatever at first. And then it's like, did we say two weeks? We met two years probably. Um, So I was just, uh, and then finally we sold it to Netflix. Because it was like, it, yeah. it was in the graveyard for a second. Right, oh. of course, yeah. So we started Netflix, which is like the best venue in town, especially right now for quarantine. Right. And then, but Netflix, then Netflix was never giving us a date. And I was like, is this movie going to come out in 2023? Yeah, yeah. I'm used to Eric Andre's show, which is an instant gratification, like, like, like late night or the night show, like, but, uh, much quicker than seven years. I'm like, I'm not even sure if I stand by some of these jokes and these pranks anymore. Like <laughs> the comedy evolves every year. And, yeah, yeah. And yeah, the yeah. world is in a different place every year. So right. Like, 
I shot this like four years ago. I don't like you're like yeah. I don't even remember. I haven't seen the lock cut since we delivered it two years ago. So I'm like, watching wow, it the first time in a long time. You know. Yeah. So uh, it's been it's been an emotional whirlwind. Mm. Well, I think we found the greatest tragedy of the pandemic. <laughs> I can't, I can't complain. I know, I know. It's the same thing. It's like it's like I can't like. Wait a minute. Uh, you got to stay home, and you still did your TV show, and got paid for your TV show, mostly staying home. And then when you got really bored with staying home, you did your TV show from a theater that you've been going to for twenty years, yeah. who you know and love everyone there. Yeah. Like I have no room to complain. Yeah. It's been kind of like a nice break from just almost all responsibilities. Totally. You know? <laughs> totally. right. like- no, but I mean, but I'm I'm kidding. But yeah, that really sucks. And I, it mainly sucks because the movie, and I haven't seen it yet. I want. I was. I went to bed too early. I was like, I was going to watch it at midnight. Oh, you. Oh, thank uh, you. Yeah, but I was. But I was like, nah, I'll, I'll watch it later because I want to. I also I want to watch it with my daughter because she's going to love it. Yes, so I hope but, she's not seven years old because it is. A no, hard. she's fifteen. Okay, she's hard R. It's she's, hard R. I'll tell. And I mean, and I, probably one of the things uh, Jackass movies is probably like one of our like just it's like can't think of anything. Just put on Jackass. Yeah. We just watch like, it's, all the it's Jackass movies. Primal gut-busting laughter. Yeah, it's the funniest stuff in the world. And they're hot, too. Somebody goes, you know what else Jackass works? I'd fuck every single one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. They're just, they're, when, yeah, it's always kind of like I, my daughter asked once, like, why Why do they always have their shirts off? And I'm like, because they look like that. Yes, like, yeah. It's like, if I look like that, I'd have my shirt off all the time, too, for fuck's sake. If I look like Bam Margera. I've been drinking so much. I I, I have, like, pickle tits and jelly belly. <laughs> it's just like, I have, oh, like, I know. it's like a suckling pig. I, I lost I lost 40 pounds in 2019. Yeah, it was it was started out being stress pounds that I then sort of like turned lemons into lemonade and lost weight. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, I'm going to climb into a loaf of bread yeah. and live here. Yeah. Uh, and so I did. And uh, all that 40 pounds is I found it again. Yeah, it's impossible. <laughs> it's like that Jerry Seinfeld joke. He's like, you realize when you're an adult, like. I can go to the store and buy as many cookies as I want. Yeah. And it's like terrifying. Like, you, yeah, you can buy as many cookies as you mm-hmm. want and eat as many cookies as you want. Yeah. No one will stop you. That's like, yeah. Like we're, we're, we're primates. We don't have that much self-control. Yeah. No, no, not at all. Nobody's going to see me eating another two pieces of pizza. Yeah. You know, no one's, no one's going to notice that. I have, I'm so bad with self-control. I can't. Yeah. And it's so, Hard not to beat yourself up about it, but sugar tastes so good. I have a sweet tooth. Yeah. I mean, and uh, it's a global, it's a once in a lifetime global pandemic. I think we have to, my therapist is like, I think we have to give ourselves a little bit of a break Yeah, in, 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 during a once in a lifetime global pandemic. Yes. I should, say, I should say hopefully once in a lifetime, but like this isn't a normal thing. So Crawl, crawl into a loaf of bread. Like, be yeah. kind to yourself. Yeah, be kind yeah. yourself. You can't beat yeah. yourself up during this night, Nightmare Twilight Zone episode. Right. Well, where? Uh, what do you think? What do you think going forward? What's you know that the, this is the three questions. What do you think going forward for you? Did I mean? Is it just? Are you kind of holding your breath to see how the movie goes? And that's kind of yeah. Like, I mean, the movie yeah. coming out today. It's out. Uh, definitely want to see how. 
the, the definitely depending on how that goes will will shape a lot of things yeah um in, in any direction so uh want to see this like wave of it throughout the next month throughout april um and kind of make that decision i have a bunch of ideas i have some like you know hidden camera prank ideas uh television ideas film ideas scripted ideas and i'm i'm filming something over the summer so after i'm done filming and and also seeing how the movie did throughout the spring and summer uh then i'll, I'll kind of pick my head up and figure out the next steps is there forgive me i have a couple things but i'm, I'm I'm weirdly superstitious. I'm the most superstitious atheist I've ever met. <laughs> I'm like, God, yeah, right. And then I'm like, oh, black cat, run away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Magic lives. <laughs> Don't walk through uh, that ladder. <laughs> well, do you, uh, what about like in your personal life? Are you, you know, did you see yourself staying in LA? I mean, are kids in the picture at any time. Uh, you know, me me and my lady are talking about uh going to uh Mexico City post vaccination. Oh nice. Once we're once we're all shot up. She works in food and agriculture, so she's she's got she's got half the spice in her. She's getting the other yeah, my yeah. friend, my friend's a, a big uh, David Lynch's Dune fan, so he keeps calling it the spice, <laughs> the spice, the spice, the spice. He just, yeah, he just got the, the spice. But uh, yeah, once we are um, free to move about the world, we're, th- we're 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 itching to get out. Yeah, I got my first dose uh, this week. You know, it was like a weird thing where Gavin Newsom called production entertainment workers essential personnel but they weren't really included in any of the official sort of vaccine releases. Mm. But then it just, I mean, I was getting it through production channels, mm. through AD saying, you know, there's a, there, there's enough vaccine out there now that people are getting back. Production people are getting vaccinated because they are technically essential personnel, like similar to, you know, Ralph's workers, right. you know, grocery store workers. Right. So I saw, you know, I, I got, tipped off and there's like a, a place uh, you know like a chain of um of uh health clinics that was given it to production people and so Me, i, I went, ahead went and down got to, it. i went downtown and i found a bunch of syringes on the sidewalk and i go there's <laughs> whatever the, there's the freaking vaccine this <laughs> must be it it's yeah. not want not <laughs> well i've been i've been taking your time i've been taking your valuable promotional time that you could have been spending on entertainment tonight or something no i love talking to you genuinely oh thank you me too i was i was very excited that we were gonna that we were gonna do this so i'm very happy we got to yes it's like uh i mean the majority of people i talk to are these like 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 mario lopez type guys you know what i mean so yeah yeah, yeah. so nice like chatting with you good who is like you're so smart and comedic and i uh, I value our friendship, and I always run into you at restaurants. Yes, that's right. Let's get to the third question. What's the point of the Eric Andre saga? What's it all mean? What have you learned? The saga of my life. The saga of my life. Well, you know, just like what do you what do you think? What do you think the point of what you've been through is? You know, I'm, I'm coming around to this. I've been so work obsessed for the past. 
20 years trying to like make a name for myself and make a career and get this movie out and get the, the show out and da, 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 da. And like, everything's been like work, 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 work. And like, uh, now I'm in that existential crossroads where I'm like coming up to my forties and uh, I'm, I'm like, I think I need more of a work life balance. Cause yeah. life is not all about work. Life is about life, yeah. enjoying life. And I'm at a place now where I need to just like go for a walk mm-hmm. or like start an herb garden. Maybe that sounds a little like corny and pedestrian and maybe I'm letting my fans down because they want me to be this like hyperactive caveman 24 hours. But uh, I, I'm, I'm too work obsessed. I'm like a, a, a version of my dad. My dad was a workaholic. So like, I need to um, find the balance more. Yeah. Well, that's a good, yeah. That's, I mean, you know, and being a work in progress is always, is always important. You know, I mean, it's, you know, you, you know, that the time that it takes to bake your cake should be for the time from you're born to the time that you die. You know, it shouldn't like just be done and then you're done and like, well, no more growth, you know? So, and, and, and aging does, I mean, I'm 54 aging makes, I'm a, you're just a different person. And I, in many ways, I think a better person, just calmer shit doesn't ruffle your feathers like it used to. There's a lot of stuff that, that seemed real important that you realize is not important at all. And it's like, a fucking delight to be able to say, forget yeah. that bullshit, you know? Um, so yeah, no, that's, that's, it is really important I- inner youth. Yeah. Push, push, push. And, and, you know, and try and be famous, try and be rich. But then at a certain point that, that just is like, that just gives you a cushion so that you can discover yourself mm-hmm. later, I think, so that you can get to the important mm-hmm. stuff later. So well, I'm. I can't wait to see this movie. I'm going to watch Thank it you. tonight, and uh, and I love you, and I love what you do, and I'm so glad I got Hell to yeah. talk to you. Likewise. So, all right, everyone out there, uh, watch Bad Trip, and uh, and come back next week because I'll be uh, talking to somebody else here on the three questions. Bye bye. Bye bye. I've got a big big love. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blair, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review The Three Questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a growing? This has been... A Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.